Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. Here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Okay, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Bible Study Podcast. I am incredibly excited to have my friend Stephen Kuffel with us, not just with us. He's been on the podcast before, but this time live and in person. I was so excited to have you here, Stephen. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you so much for, for being with us. I'm excited to get to spend more time with you and, and to have you here uh, for, this, uh, for this discussion. We're actually going to talk about something that you and I, had, we had lunch a couple weeks ago, yeah. and it was something that came up at lunch. And then I went to lunch with someone who is a listener to the podcast and unconnected to our conversation, he brought this up and said, I wonder if this is something you could talk about on the podcast. And I thought, I just had a conversation with Stephen about that. I wonder (laughs) if we could have that conversation and record it uh, so that other people could could listen in as well. But we want to talk about this idea of what I'm calling better safe than sorry theology. Uh, This Mm -hmm. idea that um, we, we have to really kind of be careful what we do in the sense that it's better to to do things I, I want to be really careful what words I use here <laughs> um, but but I think that as we talk about it and kind of flesh this out people will understand what we're talking about and we can give some examples but but first of all I, I kind of want to talk about the positives of it before we talk about where I, I spoiler alert, where I'm going is the negative side of this, this yeah. type of thinking, this theology. But why do you think that people have the tendency to have this kind of better safe than sorry mentality? Um, and then how does that kind of play out? And we could talk about some examples if you want to. I, I don't want to get either one of yeah. us in trouble. But, um, <laughs> but, but I do kind of want us to think through why, why do we think this way? And, you know, maybe what are some of the positives of it? But, but what are what are, what's the motivation behind it, I guess? I think like a positive motivation is the the concern uh, for the integrity of Scripture, mm, for, right. for God's will. Yeah. And if God tells us to do something, we want to make sure we do it. Mm-hmm. Or if he prohibits something, we want to make sure we don't do it. And I, I think that that mentality is an outgrowth uh, of something that really is a very positive thing. Right. I mean, it's mentioned again and again and again. And, and so when we, like you're saying, being careful... We want to make sure that people understand, that everybody understands, that when, we're, when we do get to the negative, what we're not saying is that there, there are no rails, there's no mm-hmm. guards, that, mm-hmm. that it doesn't matter what you do. I mean, it does. Right. And I think that's probably the most positive aspect of this approach, better safe than sorry, is the care and concern for what God has revealed. Yeah. Yeah. I, those things are all good and right, and, and we should have that that reverence for God, that that desire to be obedient, even even fear. I mean, I think that obviously throughout Scripture, this idea that that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, this this yeah. reverence for God, uh, this acknowledgement and and realization that God 
God has expectations for his people. And so trying our best to live according to those expectations. And and even one of my favorite words is circumspect, to walk circumspectly, mm-hmm. to be careful how we act and how we walk. Um, let me let me just throw out an example, just in case people don't know what we're talking about. Um, and, and it may depend on people's context and where they've come from. And, and in fact, some I guess for some people, some people who are trying to follow Jesus, this actually might be to come a little bit more in this direction might actually be a positive because there are some people that sort of live without any guardrails and just kind of live without any desire to do things according to the will of God um, and and just think that following their heart or following whatever they they, they feel is right or think is right uh, is the best way to go. But I have sort of grown up in a context and ministered in a context uh, throughout the last you know 40 years of my life where there is this this way of thinking that I find very problematic sometimes for instance uh, when it comes to baptism you and I believe that or at least I, I don't want to speak for you I shouldn't speak for you but uh, but but in churches of Christ we we believe and we practice immersion and, and we've made a very big deal about uh, it's not pouring, it's not sprinkling. There were Greek words for those types of practices. That's not what we seem to see in Scripture. And so I think there's a lot of good reasons to immerse people. But I've also been in contexts where they, they have someone that sort of watches over a baptism to make sure that a finger or a toe or a piece of hair doesn't accidentally pop up out of the baptistry. And I've seen and heard of times where people were immersed again and maybe even a second or third time because a finger or a toe popped up out of the water. And so we've gone from, yes, we believe that baptism is a dunking in water, is an immersion in water, to, well, that person might be lost if their toe accidentally came up out of the water. Well, now we've sort of we've crossed over a line where I'm beginning to be uncomfortable and, and it isn't just, that's just one example that I, we could probably name lots of different examples of times where we are afraid that, ah, yes, this is probably good enough, or this is probably the right way, or I'm not even sure I need to do this or go there or restrict myself in this way or that way. But I would again, rather be safe than sorry. And so this, going to very sometimes bizarre and extreme measures in order to make sure that every T is crossed and I is dotted with this fear that if we don't, then we might be lost. Yeah, and sometimes that will even creep over, not just into the practice of baptism, but an argument for it. Mm. People will say, well, we should you should get baptized because it's better to be safe than sorry. Yes. And that's just, it's just not a good argument for baptism. Mm-hmm. It's not a good argument for anything. Mm-hmm. And and that's really a separate issue because you listed all of the various reasons why, you know, baptism is a good thing, why it's something that we see in scripture. And so we don't have to fall back to that it's better to be safe than sorry mm-hmm. argument because mm-hmm. it's just not it's not a good argument and that will lead us down a path that that type of thinking will lead us down a path that is going to negatively impact other things when mm-hmm. we get to that part. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're absolutely right. We've got to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, as, as another example, and this may have even been part of our original conversation, that I've known so many people over the years that they have been immersed 
at one point in their life. And then as they get older, they've learned more. They've, they've read more. They've discovered more about God and about his will for their life. And so they've started to say, well, I'm not sure that my first baptism counted. I'm not sure that it was good enough. And so I want to be baptized again, because again, I would rather be safe than sorry. And that can sometimes become a perpetual thing where people continually get immersed because they're afraid my first one didn't count or didn't take because now I know more than I knew then. And I, again, I have to cross all of my T's and dot all of my I's. And I'm afraid that if I don't go keep doing this, then I'm going to be lost. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very poignant example that I run into a lot is people with that fear mm-hmm. that I've learned so much about baptism now, I should probably do it again. I, I mean, if we're going to follow that to the logical conclusion, we should be getting baptized you know, once a week, <laughs> every other day. Right. And I mean, there are things I still don't know about baptism. Like, I, I really don't understand what it means to be baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son mm-hmm. and of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's pretty basic level stuff, I would think. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as the practice is concerned, and I don't grasp it fully, mm-hmm. I don't believe. And so we have to stop relying, and it's going to get into, I think, some of the negative aspects. We have to stop relying on ourselves so much and trust that what God said is true. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you just trust that when God says, all, all the things God says about baptism, if you trust him to keep his word, then it works. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't know yeah. <laughs> everything about what God is doing, yeah. you, tr- you trust the one who said. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's going to be a, one of the big issues that we talk about today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, faith. absolutely. And I think that's exactly right. Before we get to that, though, where what scriptures do you think... Mm-hmm. Travis and I have had a conversation not too long ago about hermeneutics and and how we all have this lens through which we read scripture yeah. and and I grew up with a very different hermeneutical lens than I have now this lens through which I read scripture it's not that over time my practices have changed. My practices really haven't changed, but the lens through which I'm reading scripture has changed dramatically. Um, And and so what are some of the texts that sort of form that hermeneutical lens that says, this is the way we need to conduct ourselves as Christians is if we're, if we don't cross every T or dot every I, then we might be lost. So what yeah. are some of the the texts you think that are sort of forming the the basis, the foundation or the lens through which people are interpreting their behavior or interpreting their practices? I think I think you probably divide that into two categories, the ones that propel us toward an action mm. and then the other would be the ones that prohibit us from action. Mm, that's a good point. In both of those, you know, being safe. Uh, one of the ones that I hear most often is Leviticus 10 mm-hmm. with Nadab and Abihu, um, if that's how you say their names. <laughs> and, um, I was going to let you say their names first, because then I was going to follow you. I have a friend who you. says Nadab. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Nadab, yeah. I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> and so uh, uh, with them, you know, they go and they offer the unauthorized fire, and they're consumed by the fire that comes out from the altar. And people will take that, and they will say, they they didn't do what God said, mm-hmm. And so they are consumed because they did the wrong thing. So we have to make sure that we do the right actions. Mm -hmm. And if we've done it, possibly done it wrong, we have to go back and fix it so that we aren't consumed by the the God who is a consuming fire. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the one I hear most often, is that story. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting how that that story 
of Nadab and Abihu. And another one, see, that was the Abihu. I always heard Abihu, and then there's also Abihu. But yeah. I'd never heard an Adab, so man, now we're... They're really, all over the yeah. place. <laughs> <laughs> but Leviticus 10, uh, Nadab and Abihu. Um, we've got this story, and, and anytime God strikes somebody dead, and that's what happens in this story, they're struck dead because they used strange or unauthorized fire, something that they yeah. weren't authorized to do, and, and they were struck dead for it. Um, some people argue that they were drunk and, you know, so there's other, there's other types of arguments from that, but anytime God strikes someone dead, uh, in the new Testament, we have Ananias and Sapphira. There's also the story of Uzzah, uh, from second Samuel. So anytime God strikes someone dead, it is something we should pay attention to. <laughs> it's, it's certainly something that we should pay attention to, but it's very interesting to me that these stories of God striking people dead become the foundation or again the lens the the hermeneutic through which people interpret the rest of scripture as if right. these are the pivotal texts of scripture i heard nadab and abihu more times than i could count growing up as as the story that sort of shaped who i thought god was his character right. and so when that becomes the the lens through which you're primarily reading the rest of scripture that it is going to influence as you said compel you towards certain actions and prohibit you from other actions and you're going to end up thinking well this is the kind of god with with, with whom we're dealing he's a god that if you don't cross all your t's and dot all your i's he's just waiting for an opportunity yeah. to strike you dead and that's what really gets me about some of these practices again we mentioned some of the baptism things but i mean we could make a list i can make a mm -hmm. list of a hundred things over the years that i've seen where that seems to be the overarching mentality that this is the kind of God that Yahweh is, is a God who's sort of waiting for you to step out of bounds. He's a God of technicalities. And if you don't follow all of the technicalities, even maybe ones you're not aware of, right. like the, the, these technicalities that, that God is just waiting for an opportunity to punish or to strike someone dead. Yeah, and, and the other story that you'll hear with it is the the rebellion, Korah's rebellion. Mm -hmm. So the you know, Nadab and Abihu, you have to do the right thing. And then with Korah, and when the ground opens and swallows the rebels, uh, and people there are also consumed with fire, the, the story there is you better not do what you're not supposed to. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, right along with what you're saying, there's that very narrow pathway. And if you take one step either direction, mm -hmm. there's fire. Yeah. And so it can be, it's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and even you said narrow pathway, and, and that, that echoes something that Jesus said, that Jesus yeah. said that there is a narrow path. Now, I, I think that we're, we're going to get into the, the other side of this, but, but I think that before we take our break, I think just establishing the fact that there are enough, what I would say are proof texts to sort of mm -hmm. use to, to say, well, see, Wes, this, this really is a thing. Like God really has responded this kind of way. Yeah. But I think to, to round out those, those stories, those texts, I think we also have to put those things in context yeah. and, and recognize what's going on here. W were these examples of people who were trying their best 
to do what was right and good and be pleasing to the Lord who were walking by faith and who made honest mistakes or were these rebellious people who were doing things out of disdain for God and and rebellion to who God was. And I I think I would lean more towards the latter than the former, right? (laughs) Yeah. And you're right. And you can see God's complaint. Like when God voices his complaint in Leviticus 10, it's not they made a mistake following the procedure. His complaint is, they didn't treat me as holy. Exactly. And and that's, I mean, right in line with what you're saying. When God speaks, his complaint is, uh, with Korah, they were rebellious people. Uh, with Nadab and Abihu, they, they didn't treat me as holy. Mm-hmm. And so in some, they're doing something other than making a mistake. Mm-hmm. They're not walking in faith. Yeah. And that's, I think you're exactly right. That's yeah. the issue. I love the phrase that you use, procedural. Like this, these aren't these aren't procedural sins. These aren't technicalities. Right. They aren't mistakes or oversights. They are rebellion, and they are they're not treating God as holy. They're they are they're forsaking who God is and who He has revealed Himself to be. And I think right. so much for for me, this conversation about being rather being safe than sorry is all about the character of God because when it comes to someone who insists that a person whose toe poked up from the baptistry they need to be baptized again I don't like obviously I'm in favor of immersion <laughs> but I don't right. like what that says about the character of God because they are that that practice or that ideology is giving the impression that God is a God that's vindictive, that God is a God of technicalities, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think God reveals himself to be that sort of God. Yeah, and, and if he were, if he were that kind of God, um, then Israel would have been destroyed. Yes. I mean, you get to the, the story of the kings, and uh, when they're reinstating the Passover, you know, the text says there had never been a Passover like this in, since the time of the judges. And you're like, wait, so what were they doing? <laughs> you know, all these years, they're not having, you know, the thing that yeah. sort of separates them out as God's people. Um, the, the, the people wandering in the wilderness, they weren't circumcising their children. I mean, there's all these things where God had said previously, if you don't do this thing, you're going to be cut off. And then when Israel doesn't do it, God is gracious, mm-hmm. and he doesn't cut them off. He's patient and long-suffering. All the years when they're not performing the Passover, if they didn't do it, they would be cut off. But here God isn't, he's not holding them to the technicality of the law. Instead, he's presenting himself as gracious. It doesn't mean that they were right, <laughs> right, right. but it, it speaks to God's character. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly why I think you're exactly right. That's, that's why this idea is dangerous, mm-hmm. not because uh, it, com- it, it, it achieves bad results, but because it changes the way we view God's nature, yes. and that's an issue. Well, and the, 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 the phrase that God uses about himself over and over again throughout the the Old Testament is that he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Yes, mm-hmm. he punishes the guilty, but he is he is slow to anger and that his his love and his mercy abounds generation after generation. And so this idea that this is who God reveals himself to be, yes, we have to we have to balance that with these moments where he breaks out in anger 
at those who are intentionally rebellious and who disdain his character and disdain his reputation and do not seek his glory and do not walk in faith. Yes, that is a part of who God is, but these the texts that reveal in very explicit terms what sort of God he is, it's that he's gracious and he's merciful and he's slow yes. to anger. And I think so often, I mean, if we really want to get down to the idea that if if our job as God's people is to reveal the character of God to the world, to bring glory to God, then then we have to we have to show people what kind of a God he is. And I think we've given people the wrong impression. I'll, 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 from the very beginning, I guess, even ancient Christian history, people have really struggled with this idea of the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament, as if these are two different gods or there's no way to reconcile their character. But over and over again, as you said, God showed himself to be what he said he was, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And and yes, he got angry at those who rebelled against him, but so many times he didn't get angry. (laughs) And that's what is so amazing about the God of Scripture, Yahweh, the true and living God, is that he was patient. He was merciful, as as opposed to the gods of the pagans, who were vindictive, who were gods of technicalities, who loved to punish humans, who loved to throw down lightning bolts. Our God has never been a god like that, right? And that and that really is what makes him different. It is that that different nature, uh, and the claim you know throughout Scripture that he's not a man, he doesn't change, he doesn't do all the things that humans do. You know, I think you're exactly right. That's what you see reflected in the pagan deities. You see humanity reflected in the pagan deities. And instead of us changing God to be like ourselves, vindictive, wrathful, uh, bent on technicalities, getting what he wants no matter what, instead of changing God to be like us, we are the ones who ought to be changed to Mm. be like God. And that's the crux. I mean, that's the heart of this discussion, is who are we going to change? And we have to be careful that it's not God. I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com slash audible. That's radicallychristian.com slash audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. Okay, so before we took a break, you you said the crux of the matter and the heart of the matter, and so I, I really do want to get to the the literally the crux of the matter, um, and and talk about how would this this practice or this ideology, this way of thinking, this better safe than sorry theology, how might that change if we really started to read scripture with a, a Christ centered or a cruciform hermeneutic, where if we read the Bible, both the New and the Old Testament, through the lens of the cross, how would mm-hmm. that change how we think about our obedience? Uh, I w- it would change it dramatically. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and that is something that has taken me a long time to do because for a long time I viewed uh, instead of like Christ on the cross as an offering, you know, mm-hmm. here he is offering himself uh, as the sacrifice that atones. For for so long, um, I viewed it only through the lens of the vindictive wrath of God being mm-hmm. poured out, and thankfully Jesus was there so that I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And while there might be some element of that, that's not the whole picture, very much you see the love of God 
interposing on behalf of humanity, Mm -hmm. um, making right what was wrong, mending what was broken, healing what was sick. Uh, That image, I think, is even more powerful and more consistent with what you see throughout all of Scripture. And so instead of this vindictive God, you know, this angry toddler who just had to hurt somebody, mm-hmm. now you see a loving God who, in order to satisfy his own righteousness and justice, came down and offered himself. And that is a much more beautiful, really mm-hmm. compelling picture. And you'll hear you'll hear, hear people argue about God, and they'll say, well, a loving God wouldn't, you know, say things like, follow me or I'll throw you into hell. And, and, and they're right. That's not what God says. Mm-hmm. Uh, God tells us that we have lost our way, and he is here to bring us back. Mm-hmm. And that would then change the way we viewed things like baptism. Is Here it's not this angry God looking for a wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. It is a loving God seeking to justify the wrongdoer. Mm-hmm. And that changes the entire mentality. Yeah. It, doesn't it? I mean, it's just amazing how that, that changes how we respond to baptism as yes. opposed to, I got I to gotta hurry up and get this right, and I, and I got to make sure that I, I cross every T and dot every I. I've got to make sure that I do this right because God really wants to condemn me, and, and I've got to make sure that he doesn't have any reason to condemn me. And, and as opposed yeah. to seeing it as, no, Jesus, God, God really wants to love you. He really wants you to be part of his family. This is mm. why he sent Jesus to die for you. He, he adores you. You're already condemned. And he wants to rescue from the condemnation that you've already, that you're experiencing right now. Right. And he wants to rescue, from, rescue you from that. That's why we, we are baptized to step into that reality and step into that story this idea that that we are perpetrating on people i just can't even imagine how when when we baptize someone and again i, I know there's probably somebody listening to this that has been a spotter at a baptism or you know has seen this kind of a thing before where somebody's toe pops up and well we need to rebaptize them and, and i understand again to say what we said in the beginning that i know people's motivation for doing that is is good mm-hmm. but I, I the damage that we're doing not just with that example but with all these kinds of things the damage that we're doing to people's perception of God. Here's a person who wants to be baptized, wants the forgiveness of God, the love of God, and yet all we can tell them and show them is God really wants to condemn you, and we're going to try to make sure that it's like we're dealing, it's like we think we're dealing with a lawyer who has a 2,000-page contract, Mm -hmm. and unless you read all the fine print and that you go through it with a fine-tooth comb, he's going to, it's like Rumpelstiltskin's uh, type of uh, contract where he wants to trick you. This is not the God of the Bible. This is not the God of baptism. This is not right. the God of the cross. This is not the God that Jesus reveals to us. And so I think that the impression that we give to people about who God is, is incredibly damaging. And and that's corrected, I think, when we, when we focus on this is the God of good news. This is the God who's right. revealed in Jesus. Right. That's exactly right. And you know maybe we can talk about some of the, some other things later. Is it not only is going to d- damage the way we think about God, but then at, we then being image bearers are going to bear a broken image, mm, mm. you know, one that we have created, and that is going to lead to a whole host of other issues. Uh, but really, 
primarily, I think you've hit the nail on the head. You know, this this is the issue. This mindset alters God's nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't, but I mean, it alters our view, our view yeah, of God's yeah. nature, and that's dangerous. Yeah, yeah, and and I think to go back, I mean, what an amazing thing it is to go back and to listen to to Jesus and to the apostles who tell us that if you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father in John 14. That is an amazing statement. Or everything that is said in John 1 or Colossians mm-hmm. 1 or, or Hebrews 1, all, all of these texts that say that yeah. Jesus is the embodiment of who God is. Before we had these texts about God, we had these moments where God interacted with his people and with humanity, but now we have God in flesh, God incarnate. And so we don't have to wonder what is God like. All we have to do is look at Jesus, and Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. Absolutely. And and the cool thing, I was just talking with my oldest son about this, the cool thing about Jesus is that Jesus spends time with everybody. Mm. He eats with the religious people. He eats with the unreligious people. He eats with the sinners. He eats with the people who trust in their own righteousness. He eats with the man who betrays him. He, he welcomes, he allows everybody to come to him. Uh, he's not going to force them, but he allows them. And you see his care. I actually think one of the most caring passages in the Gospel of Matthew is, is chapter 23, where he is standing there and he's looking at the Pharisees. He has been trying the entire gospel to break through to these people. Mm-hmm. And finally he stands up and he just gives it to them straight. You're whitewashed tombs. You know, you travel the world to find a proselyte and you bring them back and make them twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. These are harsh words that are, would jar them, hopefully, mm-hmm. and make them stop and consider and think. If Jesus doesn't care about them, if he's waiting for the technicality to catch them, it, the gospel would be one page long. Mm-hmm. And so you see an, a strikingly different person in Jesus than if I were to take his place, for example. Mm-hmm. The, the Jesus would be a very different person if it was me. Mm-hmm. I am not God in the flesh. I am not the imprint of divine nature on, on humanity. But he was, mm-hmm. and he handles things differently. And I think perhaps that's part that's part of maybe of the reason why we fall into the better safe than sorry, because Jesus is too good to be true. Mm-hmm. He'll eat with me despite my brokenness. Mm-hmm. He'll accept me despite my sins. That no. Nobody does that. Yeah. He does. Yeah. Yeah. This God that knows us better than we know. I mean, that's our fear, isn't it? That yeah. if somebody really knew me, they wouldn't love me. And here God knows us. He knows both the things that we've done and the things that we've failed to do, the, the mistakes that we've made, the successes that we've had. He knows everything, not the facade, not who we try to pretend we are, but he knows the real us and he loves us enough to die for us. That's yeah. who God reveals himself to be in the person of Jesus. And and again, I, I, I hate to keep reiterating this, but it's this what we're saying here is not to say that God doesn't take sin seriously. Of course, right. God, you can't look at the cross and think, well, God doesn't, that's not a God who takes sin seriously. Of course, of course he takes sin seriously. He, he knows better than we know how much sin costs, how costly sin yeah. is. And he says, I'm willing to take all of the consequences of sin onto and into myself so that you can live. That's the kind of God that we serve. And again, it's hard to look at Jesus in any of the stories that we have of him washing the apostles' feet or him being with the woman caught in adultery or any of these stories and to think this is a God of technicalities. This is a God who just can't wait to punish people. 
that is not the God revealed in Jesus. Jesus reveals who the Father is. I think so often, you, you've mentioned several times, this idea of too much so um, making God in our own image, as opposed to us being in the image of God, us making this other God, this idol, into our own image. And, and I think so often, we even do that with the word Father. Mm-hmm. There are times where people have had Father issues with their father, had problems with their father, had a bad father, and maybe were abused by their father, neglected by their father, and then they impose that idea of what a father is on God, understandably so. But our earthly father does not reveal to us who God is. Jesus reveals yes. who the father is. And that's the father of the of, of Scripture, a better father. Even if you had a great father... The, the Father in, in heaven, our heavenly Father, is a better Father as revealed to us in the person of Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, I think, I think that, again, is the critical issue, is we, it comes back to the faith, like we mentioned at the beginning. We, we lack trust mm-hmm. in the one who said he'll do, and we have to do it ourselves. And that comes back, I was thinking about this also when you were speaking, the, the, the fact that God does take sin seriously is shown, like you mentioned, he came down to fix it himself. Mm-hmm. You don't do that with things you don't care about. Yes. You leave it in disrepair. You leave it un, untended. And he cares about it so much that he came in the form of a servant mm-hmm. to deal with sin. And so, again, it's a weighty matter. Yeah. We're not saying there's no rails. We're not saying that it doesn't matter what you do. It does intensely. Mm-hmm. The, the motivation is, I think, what we're striking at. The motivation for, for serving God isn't one based in fear, mm-hmm. but in love. Mm-hmm. And that love will cast out fear, mm-hmm. like, like John says in 1 John 5. Yeah. And so it's different. When you mention the word faith, and, and, and Paul mentions a couple times the obedience of faith. He, he mentioned that at the beginning and the end of Romans. Yeah. And, and I, I, I want to say that I don't believe that this theology that we're talking about, this better, safe than sorry type of functioning, that's not an obedience of faith. It's an obedience of terror, maybe, but it's mm-hmm. not an obedience of faith. Faith is believing that God is who he's revealed himself to be. And, and those that, that believe that God wants to punish them, desires to punish them, is looking for an opportunity to punish them, and that they have to convince God not to, that type of obedience is not an obedience of faith because it is not acting upon who God has revealed himself to be because God right. has not revealed himself to be that person. And so acting like God is that type of a God is is not an act of faith. Faith yeah. is, as you said, it's this trust, this loyalty, this allegiance to the God who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. Yes. And, and we have to go back and read even the Old Testament through that lens and to understand that Yahweh has always been this God, which is why, to your earlier point, he has always been patient with his people. He's always allowed Israel to wrestle with him, which is an amazing (laughs) thing to me that God allows not just the person of Jacob, but throughout their history, he allowed himself to be wrestled with. He's God. He doesn't have to allow himself to be wrestled with by anybody, but he allowed out of his love and his his steadfast, his chesed, he allowed himself to be wrestled with by this people because he chose them, because through them he was going to bring this salvation and blessings to the whole world. And so we, we just have to read all of Scripture through this lens 
of of the gospel of the cross. Yeah, you're exactly right, and and that changes those stories when yes. you go back and you read Nadab and Abihu, and or when you read um, at, at Mount Sinai when the anger of God is thundering on the mountain. Why doesn't he just go and destroy the nation? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he now that the the entire tabernacle has been ruined? by Nadab and Abihu, why doesn't he just destroy the Aaronic priesthood and destroy the... Start over completely, because that's not who he is. (laughs) That's not his nature. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's kind of wrap this up by talking about this better safe than sorry. Again, I realize why we're doing this, why we're thinking this way, but this desire to be safe is actually kind of dangerous. It's Mm -hmm. dangerous to live and practice our Christianity this way. So let's talk about that. Why why is it actually dangerous to live with this sort of better safe than sorry mentality? One of the, I think, the things that will begin to affect a local church is it is going to increase the number of things that people argue about, Mm. and it increases the likelihood of um, a schism, a split. Um, Because if you have to be safe rather than sorry, then all of a sudden every little thing matters. Mm-hmm. The the lyrics of every song matter. The, uh, everything, um, what we serve for the Lord's Supper, it matters intensely to the point where if I think you're buying the wrong kind of cracker, then no, we can't do this mm-hmm. together anymore because I have to be safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I don't like one of the songs in the songbook that you have, well, then we can't we can't do this anymore because I have to be safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I don't like maybe one thing that the church has spent their money on, well, I can't be involved in this anymore because I've got to be safe. And so we start to see all of a sudden, instead of the grace of God being present in our lives, engendering fellowship and harmony and forgiveness and temperance among the Lord's people, this attitude can actually cause the opposite. Mm-hmm. It can cause factions and backbiting and fighting and schism. And uh, it's interesting that when you read through the text of the New Testament, those things are talked about more yes. than anything those are the else. Those that are explicitly condemned. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so this 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 mentality does not help that. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily going to cause them, but it certainly is a step in that direction. Yeah. It's very dangerous. And isn't that interesting that we we tend to, I, I often say that we we like to, or we tend to, we lean towards the types of obedience that is quantifiable. Yeah. You can't really quantify love or unity or fellowship, but you can quantify some of these other types of things. I know when your toe is stuck out of the water because I had a spotter there to see it. I know whether or not the person leading the prayer for the communion broke the bread himself or whether or not each individual broke the bread or you had those little pre-broken pieces of, of bread. You know, I know whether those things have happened. It's really fuzzy when you talk about love and unity and fellowship. But mm-hmm. what ends up happening, to your point, that we are so focused on these quantifiable things, things where I can tell when you've stepped over my line that I've drawn in the sand, that we end up, we end up disobeying the very explicit things, the things that Jesus and the apostles said matters most. most. That yep. Jesus, and this is exactly what he got onto the Pharisees about. He, he, he doesn't say, hey, your, your tithing garden herbs is wrong. You shouldn't tithe your garden herbs. Don't worry about it. He doesn't say that. But he says, you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law, things right. like love and justice. And 
we end up doing the exact same thing. So much so that I've seen Christians who are so in this mentality of better safe than sorry is so ingrained in them. They end up worshiping alone with their family because they don't think anybody else is right. I can't find any other Christians to fellowship with because we're the only right ones. And if we fellowship with the wrong ones, well, then we'll be condemned along with them. And so now they've withdrawn from the fellowship of the church because they would rather be safe than sorry. And Sorry, but I don't think that's a safe position. I think they're putting themselves and their family in a very dangerous position. Mm-hmm. Again, with the example of the baptism, I'm not worried about a person whose toe has stuck up out of the water. I am very concerned about the person who's concerned about the toe. I'm concerned about their salvation. I'm concerned whether or not they're really in love with and following Jesus or the people that say, I can't be in fellowship with anyone I disagree about. If I disagree with someone on anything, I can't be in fellowship with them because these things disobey explicit teachings of the New Testament. Yes. And again, it's not God's nature. God, I mean, I'll just tell you, God has fellowship with me. Mm. If there is anyone that God should not have fellowship with, it's me. <laughs> because, I mean, if we're going to take that metric, yeah, yeah. if there's things that I do wrong, if there's things I don't understand, if there's mistakes, that I, then God should just leave me out when mm-hmm. he counts his children. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. Right. He includes me. And so, again, we see that, that misunderstanding of who God is coming out in very real, tangible ways, affecting the way we treat one another, mm-hmm. so that instead of being long-suffering with maybe somebody that we have a very real disagreement with... Instead of behaving like Jesus, we behave like we would if we were God. Yeah. And it's it's a radically different approach. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it gets down to, isn't it? It's that that we want to exclude people. We yes. want to judge people. We want to be the, the right ones and be able to tell someone else, you're out on a technicality. We don't want to share our salvation. We don't want to share our church. We don't want to share our whatever. And we impose that mentality, as you've said many times throughout this discussion, we impose that mentality that's really our brokenness and impose that upon God as opposed to allowing Jesus and the Spirit to transform us so we're full of love and joy and peace and patience so that we're shaped into His character. Yes. And it'll show up in other ways, too, you know, not just in the local church, but in reaching out to a neighborhood, Mm. uh, evangelism. Um, you know, there will be there will be some elements where you cut efforts short because people will say things like, well, we've never done that before. So to be safe instead of sorry, we just won't try this new idea. Mm. Well, I mean, the whole Christianity thing in the first century was all a new idea. <laughs> I mean, in one sense it's new, in another sense it's very old. But when we when we have new technology, new ways to reach out to people, internet evangelism, you know, sending mailers by door, going on door knocking, all of these things are good. Some may work better than others depending on where you are. But Podcasting. Podcasting, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, all of those things at some point were new. Yeah. And it just comes down to what you're comfortable with. And, and often we mistake discomfort with conviction. Mm. Mm. And the fact that I'm uncomfortable with something doesn't mean that I have to be opposed to. I'm not being convicted necessarily that it's wrong. It's just, it's new to me. Mm-hmm. Everything new is uncomfortable. Everything new is uncomfortable. And so we've got, we have to get over our own personal comfort mm-hmm. when it comes to personal interactions, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to, to fellowship as a local church, all of these things. And, and we have to realize that the way it's always been done 
isn't necessarily the only way that it could be done. Mm. Man, that's so good. I love what you said about comfort and conviction. You know, all of this conversation for me revolves around one particular story that Jesus told, and that's the parable of the talents. And in that parable, he has three different servants. Two of them go out and use their master's money, which you might think is the risky option. And then you have one who plays it safe, who buries the talent in the ground and does nothing with it. And he justifies his decision by saying, essentially, I'd rather be safe than sorry. My master's going to come back. He's Mm -hmm. harsh. You know, he's a guy that's going to, you know, expect the most. He's going to expect what he gave me. He's going to expect it back. And I don't want to take any chances. I don't want to take any risks. And so the master comes back and the only person he punishes is the person who played it safe. And what what do we do with that? You know what I mean? I mean, it's, (laughs) it's, it's a very challenging reality to say these other two guys really understood their master's character and the one who was playing it safe he didn't understand his master's character he thought he was going the safe route but it ended up being the most dangerous route he was the one who was punished because he didn't take a faithful risk with what he was entrusted with yeah and we have been to keep that idea of being entrusted you know you have passages like second corinthians 4 about how we have the the treasure hidden in jars of clay we've been entrusted with that the idea that God would trust humanity with something as precious as the good news you know, is, is an amazing thing. He helps us and works with us, but he has given it into our trust so that we can use it. And not only in our own personal lives, bearing fruit within ourselves, but also sharing and bringing more people into the family. And if we don't view it that way in the light of that parable, not only then are you not going to have the fruit of the Spirit in your own life, but you will not bring people to know the Lord Mm -hmm. because, I mean, we're going to play it safe here. Mm -hmm. And it's a tragedy on on both levels. It's a tragedy for for us to quench the Spirit in our own lives, and it is perhaps an even bigger tragedy to keep the one thing in the universe that could save your neighbor away from them. Um, It's not, this isn't, these aren't my sentiment, but there was a man... I share it, a man named, uh, it doesn't matter who, he's a magician. And one of the things that he said is, if you truly believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved and you don't share that information with other people, that makes you the worst person in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty yeah. true. Yeah. And so it, this can actually be very dangerous because it will inhibit or, or prohibit us from doing everything that we could mm-hmm. in order to serve God. And I think it comes back to those stories you know, Nadab and Abihu were not trying to worship God appropriately, and they made a small mistake. They did, they did it wrong on purpose. Mm-hmm. And if I am out trying to evangelize, trying to reach people, if I'm a member in a local church and I'm trying to achieve harmony and I'm trying to do what's best for that group, God sees that. He sees the try, and that's the faith that justifies, yes. not the faith that, that buries the talent. Mm-hmm. Because it, like you said, that's not, that's not faith. Yeah. Yeah. When, and, and we've mentioned the fruit of the Spirit a couple of times. You just mentioned it a minute ago. And, and I think that for Paul, those types of character traits, those are the guardrails. I know a lot of people get nervous, mm-hmm. to your point. Just because you're nervous or uncomfortable doesn't mean that, that this has actually gone over a guardrail. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. The, the people that Paul was writing to, they wanted the law to stay in place because they thought if you take away the law, people are just going to 
live however they want and, and there's going to be yeah. no restriction. And Paul lays out the fruit of the Spirit and, he, and then he says at the end of that, against such things there is no law. And and that's this incredible freedom that we have in Christ to live yes. boldly by faith and to do things that make us uncomfortable. It's okay as <laughs> long as we are walking in faith and the fruit of the Spirit is being produced in our life. Amen. Stephen, yeah. thank you so much for your willingness to have this conversation. This has been this has been rich. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.